Well, um, yeah, I am. Uh, I feel like I say this every time, but it's true. I am really excited to be with you guys this morning uh, to share God's word with you. Um, this is something that uh, th- this this passage in particular. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 17, so you guys can flip there um, as I'm talking. Uh, this passage in particular, I think, is just really funny how the Lord works. Um, he uh, earlier this year had me share a message um, where the, the, the point, the crux of the message was this idea that, that God has an unshakable commitment to being with us. I don't know if any of you guys were there remember that, um, but for me, uh, that has been like a theme and something I've, I've thought about over and over and over again uh, throughout this year as, I, as I've read and, and talked with people. Um, and I see it reappearing here in, in, in this text. As we go through, so, so I'm excited to do that. Um, for those of you who have been following along, uh, you know that we've been going through uh, the, the Exodus story. We've been talking about how God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And how now, the, the series is titled the, the Long Road Home. He is taking them uh, the long way round to get to this, this promised land. To get to this place where he's provided good things for them and for their life, um, and it's not a it's not a straight straight road. They, they have to go around, and it's going to take a lot of time. And we've been kind of walking through uh, what that looks like for them on that road. And so, um, as we as we come through to the text today, uh, we're going to see another important part of that story. Um, but first, what I want to kind of talk about and kind of to prep us for our time in this text, uh, I want you guys to think about. This idea, which I, I think is going to be the, the kind of the conclusion that, that we come to, that I, that I hope comes to the, to the surface. And so if you're taking notes, this is kind of that, that one point, that, that one thing. And it's that victory does not depend on who you are, but who you're with. Okay? Victory does not depend on who you are, but who you're with. I've got it up there on the screen for you. And uh, so stay with me, because this, this next thing that I say might not uh, immediately jump here, but I think this is where we're going to end up. Um, so for right now, what I want you guys to do is I want everybody to think about the American flag. Think about what feelings you feel when you think about the flag. Think about people, maybe, that it reminds you of. Think about words that come to your head when you think about the American flag? Now probably, for everybody in this room and for anybody listening online, there are going to be a whole, a whole spectrum of, of thoughts, of words, of people, of feelings that come to mind when we think about the American flag. Right? There are going to be positive feelings, feelings of um, thankfulness, feelings of um, pride, for our country, um, feelings of uh, excitement for maybe the ways that the United States has, has done things um, overseas. Uh, there's also going to be maybe some, some negative feelings, some feelings of shame for the past or frustration, looking forward into the future, um, feelings of uh, just not really being sure about, about what's going on. And, and then there's going to be all that stuff in between. There's probably going to be a whole, a whole mix of things that come in there. And the reason I ask you to think about that 
is that in the text that we're going to be looking at today, God uses the metaphor of a banner, a flag, to, to express a little bit about who he is or, or what he's like. And I think that, that it's pretty easy for us to just kind of pass over that, but I think that it's a, a very powerful image. And I think the fact that all of us probably have different, different thoughts about the flag. You go overseas and you show somebody an American flag, they are probably either going to be very like friendly and like that and be excited that they're meeting an American, or they really don't like you, and they don't like America, and they don't like what America stands for. It's, it's, it can be a very polarizing thing. And I think we actually see something similar uh, with the way that God is helping us see kind of what, what he's like. Um, so before we jump into the text, I want to share with you kind of just my own personal idea or my own feelings about um, our flag, something that is, is connected for me uh, with, with our flag. And hopefully that will help us to kind of like hone in on, on those feelings, to kind of sort through those things. Um, so my, my dad was uh, in the military. He was in the Navy. Uh, he served overseas for a number of years. And he came home when I was really little, so I don't, I don't remember the time that he was in the military. Um, but I know that it impacted him, it molded him, it shaped uh, who he was. Uh, he grew up in, in an abusive home, in an alcoholic home, and that's something that carried on into his life as well. Uh, he became an alcoholic, I think, from a pretty young age. Um, I think that continued on somewhat while he was in the military, and it certainly continued on uh, after that in our home life. And that really affected things about his relationship with my mom, his relationship with me and my sister and our family. Um, and, it, and it ended up causing a lot of, of strife and discord in our family. Um, at the end of his life, I was, I was 15 when he passed away. Uh, he died from pancreatitis. Um, again, alcoholic. Uh, he had gone to the hospital early, earlier that year and they, they told him just real clear, if you continue drinking, you are you're going to die. This is really bad. It's gotten too too far. Um, and he, he did really well for the, kind of the rest of that year. Um, but within about a year, uh, he succumbed again to that addiction, um, and, and he passed away. Um, and so, because he was in the military, the military wanted to to honor him. And so there was a service, this, this memorial service, uh, in my hometown. And I'm 15. I'm super into like Call of Duty and Halo, and so my picture of like soldiers in the military is like you got to be really tough, you got to be really cool, and I don't I don't know how much like heads up I had that they were going to be like presenting me with a flag uh, at his memorial service, but however long that time period was, I'm just running through in my head like okay, I got to be cool, I got to like stand up straight, I got to like learn how to salute really well. And I got to be ready to take that, that flag because this is a really big deal. This is really important. And I was really, I'm really proud of my dad. I was really proud of him for, for serving overseas and being in the military. Um, so the day comes, and we have the service, and I'm just, I've, I've lost it. I'm just crying. And uh, by the time we get to the point where they're handing me the flag, there's like tears, and there's snot running down my face. So I don't look dignified at all. My, my shoulders are all slouched. My salute looked more like I was trying to like shield my eyes from the sun. It was just, it was just a mess. It did not uh, go the way that I planned at all. Um, but, but taking that flag, that moment is forever ingrained in my brain. Because I was, I was proud of my dad. And so when I look at the flag, I have, I have some strong feelings 
of, of pride and some of pain. And, and all of that is kind of attached to the, the American flag. And so for, for all of us, I, you know, some people might have similar stories. Some people might have more extreme stories, less extreme stories. Um, but I think for, for everybody, we've got people that we know or things that have happened or views that we have about our country that shape what we see when we see that flag, that symbol. Right? And so it's, it's really important to me that we kind of understand that as we come into this text, because I think it's pretty, pretty amazing the way that God um, uses this picture, this picture of a flag um, to represent himself. So I want you to, again, I haven't made that connection totally yet, but think through this, this one point. Think about this as we come into this story. Victory is not dependent upon who you are, but upon who you're with. All right, so as we kind of think of that, coming in with this context about the flag, let's read Exodus chapter 17. Uh, I'm reading from the, from the ESV version, um, but I encourage you to follow along with whatever version you like to read from. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of Yahweh, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to Yahweh, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And Yahweh said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so, in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I'm going to stop there. We're going to go into the rest of it in a little bit, but I want to stop there and talk about some things. Okay, so we're, we're seeing a theme develop, right? In the last three chapters, we've seen where Israel's had like a really legitimate need. They really needed food. They really needed water. But how did they communicate that need? Go ahead. Tell me, how did they communicate the need that they had? Grumbling, complaining. That's a legitimate need? Yeah, they need food, they need water to survive, but they're grumbling and complaining to get it. Now, if you've spent any time around probably anybody's kids, including mine, you've seen that this is something that that children do, right? I I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with my kids where it's like, okay, I want to give you the thing that you're asking for but not the way that you're asking for it. So can you like reword that somehow? Can you change the tone or like the attitude with which you're asking me? And then, oh yeah, dad, can I have some water please? Yes, I'd love to give you some water. Here it is, right? So you've probably all seen that if you spent any time around anybody's kids. Um, probably some people's kids to more degrees than others. Um, but man, some of that stuff carries over into us today, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've just caught myself grumbling and complaining in front of people and realizing that, man, 
as much as I've complained about this thing, I don't think I've ever really asked the Lord for this. And uh, that's what we're seeing happening here. A couple chapters ago, they didn't have enough water. Legitimate need, but they're complaining to get it. And so God gives them water. And then last week, Pastor Evan was talking about them not having enough food. And so they're grumbling and complaining about not having enough food. Legitimate need, but they're grumbling and complaining to get there. And God mercifully gives them food. And here we are, this kind of next phase of their journey. They're camping at this place, Refidim, and they need water. And so they trusted the Lord and they just asked him because last time he gave them water. No, they complained again. And they grumbled again. And they called with Moses. And what is really at the root of this question, we get to see kind of at the end of this section in verses 6 and 7, that they were asking the question, is Yahweh really with us or not? See, the water is a need. They really needed water. And God was ready to give them water. But the question that was at the root of that question, or that need, was, is, is God still here? Okay, he delivered us out of Egypt. He did some pretty amazing things. We were all there for that. We saw that. But is he still with us? I'm thirsty. And so, I, I love this. And I've probably read through this at least like five or six times before really digging into it for this week. And I don't think I've ever caught this before. But go up to uh, verses 5 and 6. So Moses comes and he's like, hey, these people are going to kill me because they're mad. They don't have enough water. And God says, okay, pass before the people. Take with you some of the elders, the, the influencers, the people who are kind of in charge. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And here's the thing. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock. And then you strike the rock. And they're asking this question. Is the Lord really with us or not? And God says, I'm going to answer this question. No uncertain terms. I am with you. I am providing for you. I am protecting you. I am delivering you. And I think this is critical for this period of time for the Israelites, as we're about to see. This was, this was a, a momentous occasion for them. They really needed to know the answer to this question very clearly because of what was about to happen to them. All right. So let's go ahead and read the next section and see why this is so critical that God communicates to them so clearly that he is with them. Right. So starting in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it 
Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of Yahweh. Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, I mean, immediately after this, this occasion, this questioning, valid question, is God still with us? We know that He was with us. Is He still with us? And God says, yes, I'm with you. I'm providing for you. And boom, they get attacked. They get ambushed by enemies. Now, Israel has just come out of slavery. You know what you don't learn when you're a slave? How to fight. How to be good warriors. That's not a good way to teach your, to your slaves to remain slaves, right? If you want them to overthrow you, you teach them how to fight. So we can reasonably assume that the Egyptians probably did not teach the Israelites how to fight. And they come out and it seems like they had some weapons. Sounds like they had some. But probably not a ton. And even if they had them, I think a sword is probably more dangerous in the hands of somebody who doesn't know how to use it than nothing at all, right? So they come out, this group of people who have no military training. They are hungry, thirsty, tired, and they get ambushed by warriors, by people who have military tactics, who have military numbers, they have strength, they know how to beat the Israelites. And so they come in and they attack, and Moses says, all right, Joshua, you go out and fight, and God's going to give us this victory. And so he takes this staff, this piece of wood, and he holds it up in the air, for everybody to see. And Moses calls it the staff of God. Because this is the staff with which God was showcasing his power through Moses' life. Right? This is the staff that the day before Moses used to strike the rock while God is right there in front of everybody and water pours forth. This staff to the Israelites, man, that represents provision. Taking care of their needs. This is the staff that, you know, weeks earlier... This is the same staff that Moses smacked into the ground and the, uh, the, the, the waves parted, the sea parts, and they walked through dry land. This is the same staff that he then uh, reverses that process and destroys the Egyptians. So for the Israelites, then seeing the staff, it's a reminder of, of um, deliverance, salvation, bringing them out from a horrible place. This is the same staff, God says, is the one that Moses used to turn the Nile into blood. So he says, hey, take this staff and the one that I used to, to judge Egypt to turn their water that was good and pure and ready to drink into blood. You're going to use that same staff to provide clean, good, pure drinking water for you, my people. Same staff. So can you imagine what this does for them, seeing this staff raised up in the air? That's got to be exciting. This staff means a lot to them. And at the end of this battle, there's a couple of things that happen, right? Yahweh says, Moses, write this stuff down. Give it to Joshua. Tell it to Joshua. Write it down so he doesn't lose it or forget it. That I will, I will blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That means they will not exist anymore at some point. This is the first time Israel's been attacked since they've been freed from, Israel, from, from Egypt. And God says, that thing that happened to all of you, my people, I take it personally. I treat it as though it was done to me. And that's, Moses is just repeating the same thing. He says, uh, a hand against the throne of God. 
So God is saying, the stuff the Amalekites did to you, I'm taking it as though they did it to me. And they, they are toast. And uh, I don't have time to go into all of it right now. If you want to talk to me afterwards, I can point you to these places. But this story, this promise that God makes, um, gets picked up all throughout. It goes in through Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel. Uh, it basically sets up the entire situation for the whole book of Esther, which is really cool. Um, and then finally gets resolved in Second Chronicles. So if you'd like to know more about that and follow that story, I'd love to share more with you. Um, or I encourage you to check it out on your own because it's really, really cool. Um, but I think this is important. So Moses does this, and then he sets up this altar, and he makes this amazing statement. Yahweh is my banner. God is our banner. He is our flag. For the Israelites, that flag, God being their flag, to them means victory. It means provision. It means he's, he's fighting for them. He's giving them the battle. It means he loves them. He is their, their father, their protector. All these awesome things is what they attribute to this flag, this idea of God being their flag. How about the Egyptians? The Egyptians probably don't feel the same way about this flag or the staff of Moses, right? They would think about the idea of God being a flag as one they want to burn. They don't like that flag. How about the Amalekites? They just, they just got their butts handed to them by this, this God. And they were promised that their defeat was going to come from this God. So to them, this idea of Yahweh being their flag, not a positive uh, uh, attribution in their mind, right? They're not excited about that flag. These flags mean different things, depending on whose side you're on, right? And when I think about this, this is what really gets me excited, is that Jesus fulfilled this in a really, really interesting way. So God, after already uh, resolving this with the Amalekites in Second Chronicles, well into the Old Testament, there's still something here that's yet to be fulfilled, right? And so He comes as Jesus. He's this perfect man. He lives this perfect life. He doesn't do anything wrong. His name means God with us, right? That's who Jesus is. And he comes and he lives with us. And then he is arrested, he is beaten, he's whipped, he's put on a cross, and he's killed there. He is raised up on a tree for everybody to see. And I, I just imagine for the, for the disciples, seeing that, seeing Jesus up there beaten and bedraggled and all ripped up, that's like seeing your, your flag. What, what happened to this promise that, that God was going to be our banner? There's our banner, and it's bloody, and it's all ripped up, and it's, and it's dead. Can you imagine how much of a turnaround there was? days later when Jesus rises from the dead and shows up and says, no, here, I'm real. I defeated death. Touch me and see I'm here. For them, in their mind, that image burned into their mind of this broken, battered, beaten Jesus. Now, where it was defeat is now this, this flag of victory. Man, he defeated death and he gives us his righteousness just because we trust in him? That's incredible. 
That changes everything. And we see Peter writing about that. We see Paul writing about that. We see John writing about that in their epistles. They, they all highlight the death of Jesus being our victory. Jesus didn't, I mean, God didn't just say this. I mean, he came and, and he lived this. He became our banner. This, this image lifted up on a pole to show us what victory looks like. To show us that it's not about who we are. The Israelites weren't great warriors. We're not great. Victory doesn't depend on who, who I am. Victory doesn't depend on who you are or who we are. Victory depends on who we're with. And God made that clear here. Jesus made that really clear when he died on the cross and then conquered death. Let that be the image, the picture for us. Jesus became the flag that people would rally under. And so when I, when I think about this, one of the things that Jesus said was that those who are not for me are against me. It's a pretty black and white statement, right? Jesus said that. And he came like this, this flag. You're either for this or you are against this. And so I think there's really two places we land today. Right? There's going to be people here that are not yet following Jesus. The flag you're flying is either your own flag or it's somebody else's, but it's not Jesus's. So my encouragement to you today is to really consider that. Think about what that looks like. If you read through scripture, you're going to see in the book of Revelation, Jesus returns. And when he returns, he is a warrior. He takes the offenses against his people personally. And those who haven't bent their knee to him, then wipe them out. And that's, that's good news. That means we've got somebody who's ready to enact justice on our behalf. Perfect justice that we, we just couldn't do well. But if you're not flying Jesus' flag, if you're not under his banner, that's got to be terrifying. It's not good. So my encouragement to you today is figure that out. Get under the banner of Jesus. Man, he's, been, he's been patient. He's been waiting. He wants you on his team. He wants to be with you. He did everything he possibly could to be with you. So respond to that. Trust him. Believe him. That's not about you. It's not about what you do for your victory. It's about who you're with. And if you're with him, then you've got it. He's given it to you. So if you want to talk about that, I think there's, there's plenty of people here. Talk to the person who you're with or talk to Pastor Evan or myself or Matt or whomever you think you need to. So work that out and figure out what that looks like to be with him, to be on his team, to fly his flag. But then, you know, this is, for most of us in here, we're following Jesus, right? He's already our flag. He's already our banner. So what do we do if he's already, he's already the banner that we fly? Well, man, what I see here is Joshua and his warriors, I mean, they already had the banner. They already knew that they were God's people, but they still had to go out there and swing the swords. They didn't know how to use them. They didn't have to. They just had to go out there and try. And God was the one bringing them the victory, right? God made that very clear. He stacked the deck against himself to make it very obvious that he was the reason that they were having victory. So you don't have to know what you're doing. 
if you're flying Jesus as your banner, just get out there and do. He's given you the victory. Peter writes, God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. Not some of the things, not you learn some of these things and get good at them and then you unlock the, the, the cool things later. Like everything that you need for life and godliness has been given to you with the Holy Spirit. So act like you've won. Go swing the swords. Get in your Bibles. Pray. Open your mouth. Talk to people about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Let Jesus shape the rest of your life. And share that with people. And I want to ask you, what, what would this look like, man, if, if everybody lived this way? I mean, just, just if, you, if you personally did it, think about how that would affect each of your friendships. Think about the way that that would affect the way you treat your, your parents. Think about the way that that would help you treat your, your spouse or your own kids. Think about what kind of an, an employee that would make you or a boss that would make you. It would be incredible, right? If we all walked around as though the victory was already taken for us, and we're just out there doing what we need to do. If we all lived as though victory didn't, mat- didn't, didn't fall just on me, it fell on the person that we're with. And we're with Jesus. He, he made it loud and clear. I'm with you. When he told us to go and make disciples, he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's his promise to us. I want you guys to just think about that as we, uh, as we pray. Things that I hear for today. Jesus, thank you for your promise. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for giving us this story in Exodus 17 where we see you being flown as our banner. Thank you that what that means for us as followers of Jesus is that you've given us victory, that you are providing and will continue to provide for us, that you have, past tense, saved us from slavery and bondage and death, and you've brought us into freedom. Would you show us what it looks like to trust you, to live in victory, to have victory over addiction, over bad character over the mistakes of our past you are our victory your name is is our victory would you show us what it looks like to live as though you are really with us because you are to live as though you've given us the victory because you have and may people see that like Ruth and like Rahab and rather than being terrified, they would, they would want to be on that team. They would want to join with you and be a part of your kingdom. Pray that, that would be the, the, the picture, the image of what it means for us to be the kingdom of God, your, your people. That our love and our action, our words, would speak so highly of you. And your kingship that others would want to be, be yours too. Pray all those things in your name, Jesus. Amen.